Hi, friends. This is episode 82 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey everybody, I'm excited to continue this journey with you through the interwoven story of Joseph and God. If you've come upon this podcast in any other way other than our website, we want to make sure that you go to our website, thebiblelab.com, go to the episodes page, and then click on the little icon, the little graphic that shows a life of many colors. This is session two, so click on session two study guide. It's a free PDF to let you know some of the things that we're going through. This is what the people at the Bible lab that I was leading out in this conversation, this is what they were looking at. And it's got a ton of extra information that most of the time we can't get through all of it. So we invite you to go to our website, thebiblelab.com and make sure you get your free study guide there. Also want to just invite any of you who have connected with the Bible Lab and you'd love to have these conversations with your friends, your community where you live. We'd love to help you start one. We've launched several uh, Bible Labs around the world and we're starting more each and every month. We'd love to support you on this journey. So if you're interested in that, just go to our website, thebiblelab.com, click on the contact page and write to us and let us know. My entire team would love to help you out and definitely will support you along this journey. Welcome to this conversation and welcome to the Bible Lab. Maybe you still think you're the only one. But I used to think I was the only one that had a really tough childhood. And then I was the only one that had a really tough high school time. And then I was the only one that had a really tough college experience in young adulthood. And I was the only one that had a really tough time as a young professional. I used to think I was the only one. And, and, and then people like my mom would say, oh, you got to hear about my childhood. And then her mom would say, well, you got to hear about her childhood. And then as I'm counseling people and coaching people, they're coming in and I'm like, whoa, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one that, that had a hard time. I'm not the only one that thinks nobody knows how hard my life was. Almost every single person, I, I bet you we could spend hours and hours if we just went one by one and said, tell me the tough things about your, your younger years. Tell me the tough things about high school. Tell me the tough things about your young adulthood. Tell me the dark times. And I think the consistent thing that we would see throughout this entire room is we all went through some tough times. And whether they were caused by relationships or whether they were caused by circumstances, we all went through some really tough times. The interesting thing is we all think that we're the only one that went through it. Have you ever been amazed when you've talked to some of these people, the, the, the popular kids in your school, the ones that seem super happy, the manic people all the time? And then they have this little break and they tell you about how they go home and cry on their pillow, about all the challenges they had behind the scenes 
and you thought, you thought their life was perfect, you thought they were just absolutely ecstatic with life, and some of those people actually tried to take their life, tried to commit suicide. I think that's why many of us today, as we go through this segment of Joseph's story, I think this is one of the reasons why we really resonate with the character of Joseph, is because the Bible opens up, is transparent, and it talks about these challenges of life when you have to ask the question, does God care? So we're going to walk through that today. Number two, yes, no, or maybe, I've been wrongfully accused of something that still has not been cleared up. I've been wrongfully accused of something that still has not been cleared up. Okay, let's look here. It's a mix, but it looks like about 45% yes and 65% no. No maybes on this one. That's good. That's good. So about 45% of you are saying, yeah, there's still something that has not been cleared up. And you just elbowed your spouse and said, I've been wrongfully accused. How does that make you feel? When you're wrongfully accused, there's this question of divine justice. God, aren't you going to make this thing right? We're going to talk about that today in Joseph's story. And we're going to see where is God when you're wrongfully accused. Third one, number three. When God is with you, your life prospers. When God is with you, your life prospers. Oh, yeah, good. We, get, we, we, got a, we got a mix. It looks like about 80% yes, but then there's a, there's a mix, kind of a, a, a 10 and 10% uh, maybe, and, no, and then several people are raising both the yes and no cards. And Mike's raising all three. Thank you for playing. Yes. We're going to take a look at this because in the story of Joseph, especially here in chapter 39 that we're looking at, it talks a lot about God prospering Joseph, but when you look at the story, it doesn't seem like his life is prospering. In fact, it tells you in the story it's not his life that's prospering, it's all the lives around him that are prospering. But it seems like his life is going a different trajectory. It's going down. We're going to talk about that today, about the three steps going down, down, down as God's prospering everyone else around Joseph. It doesn't seem... Like his life is prospering in the moment, but yet it, the, the scripture will tell us that everyone around him is prospering. So we're going to talk about that today. Number four, God's presence comes into our lives after we show our faithfulness. God's presence comes into our lives after we show our faithfulness. Okay, I'm seeing a majority of no. I'm seeing like 90% no. I'm seeing... Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing about 9% yes and 1% maybes. Here's the cool thing. You're all right. <laughs> you are all right. This is the trick question today. Because there is, in today's story, you'll see a formula. You'll see a formula of God coming in before you're faithful, before Joseph is faithful. And you'll see God coming in because Joseph is faithful. So there seems to be this variance of God's presence. And I, I know this is a, a tricky conversation. Maybe we'll unpack it a little bit if you want to today. Um, 
But the question of praying for God's presence, how much? A full measure of God's presence or some of God's presence? Some people say, well, when God's present, God is present in full. And other people say, no, you can pray for more presence and you, you can pray for just a little presence. So we're going to talk about that today because there seems to be a variance as you look at God's presence coming into our lives before, during, and after we show our faithfulness. Number five, God typically needs to tear us down in order to build us back up. God typically needs to tear us down in order to build us back up. That's a toughie too. I'm seeing about 60% yes. I'm seeing about, oh wow, I'm <laughs> about uh, 15% maybes and 5% noes. And Byron is playing with all three cards. Yes, playing with a full deck. That's good. <laughs> I can't say that about everybody here, Byron, but you, sir, are playing with a full deck. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven after that, Byron, I'm sorry. We're going to take a look at the Joseph story, and I want you to think about these five yes, no, maybe things that we went through, because there's a lot here that we need to wrestle with. And I could tell by your responses, we're, uh, we need some clarity here. Because as you look at your life and, and you see the challenges that you face and the challenges you've faced in the past, some of the things you're still trying to let go and some of the things you're still trying to grasp as you look at your spiritual walk. <coughs> Today, we're going to have to take a look at this interwoven story of God and Joseph. What happens during the trials. So I want us to start out with the first five and a half verses of Genesis 39. We're going to go verses 1 through 6a. That means the first half of the verse. And I'm going to read it in the NIV here. You can follow along on this study guide if you'd like. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Let's take a look at a couple of things here. I've bold-faced a, a couple of words or, or phrases here just so you understand kind of how you would have heard it in, in the original tongue. Taken down in verse 1, uh, the Hebrew word is hurad. This happens three times during Joseph's beginning story. Last week was the first one. That was the lowering or the taking down of Joseph into the wilderness cistern. Remember, he was thrown into a pit. He was taken down into a pit. That's the first hurrah. Then his forced descent into Egypt. So he was taken down to Egypt. 
And then third, his, and we get to this at the end of this chapter, his incarceration in prison by Potiphar. He's taken down into the cell, to the prison cell. Three hurats, three times. It goes from, well, we're going to throw you into a pit, and we're going to throw you out of the country, and now we're going to throw you into jail. This is progressively worse. From bad to worse to worst. It's what's happening here in Joseph's life. And I don't know uh, where you are right now or where you were previously, where you felt like, God, what's going on? Because at first I prayed for you to help me get out of the pit. But now it feels like now I've been thrown even farther. And now I'm in slavery. And perhaps a one-two punch from the devil wasn't enough. You got the third punch and now you're in jail, metaphorically speaking, I hope. These things in Joseph's life, during a time that it says God's blessing him, on the exterior would not look like a blessing, would it? It going from bad to worse to worst. Second thing I want you to see in verse 1 is Potiphar. There's a main character in this, in this chapter, one of the main characters. Potiphar is the Egyptian who bought Joseph. It's interesting to look and see how it describes Potiphar because it only uses his name a couple of times. The rest of the time, it uses his profession or it says Joseph's master. And so that was kind of the style of, of the writing back in the day as they'd use the name, get it set up, and then they'd use the job description or the relationship um, to continue as the pronoun for the individual. But if you look, it, it calls Potiphar the captain of the guard in the NIV. That's how they translate it into English there. But as I looked at it, in all the, the commentaries I have, the most reliable translation is actually chief of the executioners. Chief of the executioners, which means it's the same word that's used as warden of the prison elsewhere in writings of the day. The Zabut of modern Egypt. So I don't know if this is going to mess up the story for some of you or if this is going to really open up what's, what's coming up in, in the next chapter. But this is a very big deal as you look at the story of all the people that, had, uh, that, that could have purchased Joseph as a slave the warden of the jail, who's the chief executioner, is the one who hires him as a slave. And it says that he hired him and saw that he was so good in what he had him doing that he says, I'm going to put you in charge of my house, my personal house. So I want you to keep this in mind that Potiphar is not simply a royal official who works for the pharaoh in the palace. He's the warden of the jail, and one of the duties of the warden in the jail is chief executioner. When it's time to execute somebody, you execute them. Now, it's interesting the phraseology that, that was used as well, and we'll talk about it later in our conversation, but the language uh, was used saying that he's the warden of the royal prison because they had a couple of different prisons. We'll talk about that later. Keep it in the back of your mind because it's going to create some great word pictures, and, and uh, it might change up that felt board set that you ha still have in your mind, but we'll get past it. 
The next thing I, I want to share with you is from verse 2, where it says the Lord was with Joseph. We touched on this briefly. The Lord was with Joseph. Um, this is a repeated theme within this chapter. Eight times it says in some way that God was either with Joseph or that he was blessing Joseph. And those eight times are the first one, the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. That's in verse 2. Second time, the Lord was with him in verse 3. Third time, the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. That's also in verse 3. Fourth time, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. That's verse 5. The fifth time, the, Lord, uh, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned. That's in verse 5 as well. Sixth time, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. In verse 21. Seventh time, the Lord was with him. Verse 23. And the eighth time, whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. And that's also in verse 23. So there's two storylines going on. That's why we, we call this an interwoven story. If Joseph was telling the story, he would have told it different. Joseph would have talked about all the trials and the trajectory of his life going from being thrown into a pit, thrown into slavery, and then thrown into prison. But God's telling of the story as he's inspiring Moses to write this he tells a story of prosperity. Not three steps down, but eight different moments of prosperity in these five and a half verses. So we have to ask the question, how can you tell when the Lord is with someone? What are the marks of God's presence and blessing? Because I'm sure Joseph couldn't tell in the moment that God truly was taking him on a journey that wouldn't continue this downward slope. So how do you tell? Get your comment cards ready. Get your question cards ready. How can you tell when God is with you or with somebody? And what are the marks of God's presence and blessing? Let's start back here with the red microphone. Yeah, is that Dwight? Yes. Yeah. So what I see here is actually the, a great way to start a gospel a message a gospel message of prosperity okay that whole prosperity gospel that you see joseph was god was with joseph and guess what happens everything happens around him gets blessed even though joseph may not think that but you yeah. see it around him yeah so a minister comes out and says well you know if you, if you just have god with you you'll be blessed and if you're not blessed <laughs> then what yeah that's i i love it that you brought that up dwight as, as amazing, because in, in my study, that was one of the big things that came up in some of the commentaries, is talking about the prosperity gospel. Some of the more modern commentaries are having to wrestle with that, because the prosperity gospel is where the televangelist tells you, if you just send in $5,000, doesn't Micah say God will multiply that tenfold? And so if you want $50,000, send me $5,000. Prosperity gospel also states that if God is with you, you will be financially rich. You will be professionally successful in all that you do. Now, the question is, does God want you to be successful? The answer is yes. Does God need you to be rich? I wish it was yes. The reality is, when God is with you, you do prosper. 
but there's more ways than financial that you prosper. Because as you look at the life of Joseph, Joseph was not personally, financially prospering. His slave master was, his entire household was, and ultimately we'll see in the story that Pharaoh will be. But was Joseph himself building up his retirement financially? No, and this is, this is the tough thing and, and the criticism many people have of the prosperity gospel. Now, I think the green microphone was next, yes. Yes, that Debbie, great, thank you. Um, you know, we, we just said you can't really tell from looking at the outside of how people judge, yeah. but I think it's really telling about how Joseph responded to those around him mm -hmm. um, and responded in methods of what God would use and not those of Satan, which God, um, he woos us and he loves us and he never uses coercion or force. Yeah. And all these evil things that happened to Joseph, at least the Bible, I don't read about him um, wanting to retaliate or steal from Potiphar, or he could have brought his, um, his everything to ruin, you know, since he was in charge of so much, or maybe he would have yeah. um, had an affair with Potiphar's wife. But yeah. he responded in a way that he was diligent, he continued to love, he treated people well no matter how they treated him. And yeah. so I think by the methods that he responded with are really the only way that I can tell by reading the story. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and you're, you're, you're pointing us ahead to the, the next stage of the conversation we're going to have, which is there seems to be a change in Joseph. And we're going to talk about that in, in just a moment. The presence of God brings life change. It brings positive life change, and it brings success in many other ways. It, it brings Joseph's success in his personal character, his, his personal development as a trustworthy individual that was not common in in the pagan world and it still is not common in the pagan world today so we're going to talk about that in a moment but you're right some of the su successes that come are wealth of character emotional wealth as well great purple mic yeah i'd like to mention about the apostle paul okay you know he seemed to have Everything against him when he was on his missionary tours, persecution, you name it. And he prayed for the thorn in the flesh that he had, which some people think might have been partial blindness perhaps, yeah. but uh, he prayed for the Lord to take that away, and the Lord didn't. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. Now, I don't think any of us would say that the Lord was not with Paul. Yeah. I mean, he went through that, and then take the case of Job. Hmm. He lost everything he had, too. The Lord did bring him back again to yeah. twice as much, but I mean, can we say that the Lord was not with Paul or Job? Can we say that God wasn't with Jesus when Jesus said, if it's your will, take this cup from me? In that's the right. Of Gethsemane? Um, yeah. I don't think that's a criteria necessarily going through trials that God is not with us. Yeah. yeah. You know, this prosperity gospel a lot of people preach is that, uh, God, boy, God really prospered him because he was... Um, pays tithes and offerings and everything, and the Lord does prosper in some ways, but it's not always in money. Sometimes it's in health. Sometimes yeah. it can be in other areas, but I think we sometimes make a mistake in thinking that prosperity automatically comes to us yeah. when we follow the Lord. And uh, sometimes the Lord allows us to go through trials, but he is still with us. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. It, it reminds me as well of a man 
who was very imperfect, uh, had very high highs and low lows, and is quite manic depressant in his writing. But the psalmist David, King David, uh, himself writes in the most famous song that, that he writes, Psalm 23, he writes, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. He doesn't say, because you're with me, I never have to have a dark path through the shadow of death. He says, yep, don't have to walk through it, but I know you're with me. Even though I have to go through it, you're with me. And, and that's a man after God's own heart who understood the character of God more than most. Um, he, he understood the dark times still come, but it doesn't mean God has left you. That's why it's so critical for us to understand when Christ was on the cross, and this is part of our God.0 uh, video recordings, I think it's the sixth session of that, where so many people confuse when Jesus is on the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and we take all the imagery of, you know, this guy turns dark at midday and, and all this, as if God himself is not with Jesus at that time, not understanding that Jesus wasn't saying that. He was singing the psalm before the one I just mentioned, 23. He's, he's singing Psalm 22. So people will see, here's what happens on the outside, what you see on the outside in the first part of Psalm 22. But let me tell you what's happening on the inside, the second half of this song that tells you inside, God's right there with him. He hasn't left him. He's, he's, never, he's right there with him because they have a vow that they've committed to buying back humanity from sin. And so from that standpoint, so many people, and perhaps you yourself, have gone through a time of life where you felt like it's so dark that God himself is not with you. And I don't know, because this, this story doesn't tell us, but I imagine Joseph went through some questions much like you've gone through. God, are you still there? Am I being punished because of what a little punk I was back home? Is this you breaking me down? Is this God tearing me down so that he can build me back up? And a lot of people have that question. I think the red microphone was next, yeah. So, you know, in my experience um, at work as a nurse, there is so much stress going on. We're understaffed. And I can see God in my coworkers who just keep smiling it's like, oh, man, we're out of this supply now. How are we supposed to cope? It's just one more thing. Those are the ones who are still smiling, and they're not complaining. They're the ones that, you know, I, I tend to be a complainer. And then, like this one nurse, she's like, well, at least we still have this, this, and this. It's like, whoa. She must be walking close with God. And then for my... <laughs> And for myself, I know when I have been in a closer relationship with God from day to day, I just have more peace of mind. Mm. And I think less about myself yeah. and can be more of a blessing to others. I, I agree, Linda. Can, it, can I be transparent? Um, as a loving community, I guess I can. Um, you know, ever, ever since the end of August, I've, I've had real heart troubles and I, I, I we haven't been able to figure out what's going on but I found that the, the mornings even this morning I just wasn't feeling good I just was not feeling good um, 
and I just stopped and, and spent more than a half an hour backstage here praying, and I came out feeling great. I feel so good. Why? <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll take that as a virtual long-distance hug. Thank you. Um, God is so good at, at taking us who, we, we get ourselves so worked up, and I, I, I was asking myself on the drive down, why am I, my stomach didn't feel good, my heart didn't feel good, why, why am I not feeling good? And, and the thing that kept coming back to me is, I'm, I'm so nervous that, I, I, which is silly, because I have so much fun here in this group, but I want this to be such a meaningful conversation that I was letting the anxiety of what I do get in the way of the consistency of what God has done. And week after week, it's not about what I do. I've never done anything significant here. God has done everything significant here in this group. But isn't it amazing how when you just stop and you say, God, just come in, come into to my heart, he not only brings peace, but he truly does bring a positivity, he brings healing, he, he brings joy, and allows you to just get out of the way of yourself. And I, I think that's, to, that's a challenge we all have. I don't think I'm the only one here that, that worries about doing their best and making sure that as much as possible, I do it every week, but as much as possible, I don't make a fool out of myself. Um, isn't it amazing, Linda, how the witness of people who do invite the presence of God in their heart, it does make them more positive during times that are really frustrating, at, at times that are really negative and, and dark. And so what a, what a testimony of the people that work with you, and I'm sure you're a testimony to them as well, of what happens because you invite the beautiful, loving presence of God into your heart, and it changes the atmosphere around you. Um, we talked in the Ephesians um, season about how do you bring peace into a community, and we don't do it. It's the Holy Spirit that brings peace into our community. We can't do it. Um, but just by us inviting the Holy Spirit into our heart and walking into our community, His presence there, and He changes things in, in a beautiful way. Purple microphone over here. Yeah, Randy. So everything I, I, I was looking at um, pointed to that Joseph already had a relationship with God, yeah. and it was him, because you wonder... How did Potiphar figure out that it was God? He would have thought, gosh, Joseph is just an incredible guy. Mm -hmm. and, and here Joseph is. Uh, he had to have been a testimony to Potiphar. Every time Potiphar came up to him and said, how did you know to buy that stock? How do you know to sell those sheep when you did? How do you know to buy that vineyard when you did? He didn't say, oh, it was great. It was me. It was my own acumen. He always probably said, yes. it's God that's you're, doing you're right. this. There's it, no other way that Potiphar would have known to connect it with Joseph's God if Joseph didn't direct the credit there. Exactly. And I think this is, a, this is one of the first signs of maturity of Joseph, who up until this time in the story, in chapter 37, we see him bragging about how important he is and about how others would bow to him, including his mom and his dad represented by the sun and the moon. Um, and yet we see a, a different character in this situation to where while he is broken down as a slave and he's having success, the only way Potiphar would have associated it with Joseph's God if Joseph would have, would have said that, would have said, 
he's the reason. And he would be used to a polyistic view, polytheistic view, yeah. because Egyptians had a God for every single little thing. Yeah. And here he was attributing everything to one God, which would be really odd for Potiphar to do had not Joseph said, hey, it's God that's yeah. doing all of this. Yeah. This is also a chapter where it's very rare um, that it uses the term Yahweh. Yahweh was really uh, introduced in the story of Exodus when God introduces himself to, to Moses in a burning bush and says, I'm Yahweh, which means I am, I, I, which I was, I am, I will be. It's the, it's the all three uh, tenses, uh, past, present, future. And uh, it uses it in this chapter and only one other place other than the introduction to Exodus. And I think it's because Moses wanted to let you know, the listener to this story, that even though God will introduce himself to the entire Hebrew nation about 450 years later, as a God who wants to be right there with you, he needs to let the listeners today and at the, at the time of their, their reading know that God was with Joseph as well, his past, his present, and his future. And so it's only used right here in, in Genesis, the first and, and only time in, in Genesis it's used to help people understand God from this perspective. Because most people up to that time would use Adonai, or you know other other terms for for god that basically meant all powerful or the mighty god and uh and in this situation uh, that's not the perspective that joseph needed he didn't because if you have an almighty god who doesn't use his power to get you out of the jail to get you out of the problems to get you out of slavery to get you out of the pit and send you home uh that's a frustrating view of god isn't it because the name of god and the work of God are separate. And so in this moment, Randy, what Moses does is he says, let me give you a little head start to where a character of God that the people didn't know yet. And so he uses Yahweh to say, even though it doesn't look like it, the I am here God in your past, present, and future is the God that's interacting with Joseph. And that's why this story is not about Joseph, it's about God. Yes. His character. Yeah. I have to read this. Yeah. I have to read this. Go for it. It's Charles Spurgeon. Mm -hmm. and, and why do we study these stories, these themes? It's not about Joseph and how he, he uh, is great against temptation. He's yeah. great against adversity. But it's, it's actually his thought of what God is and how we know of God's character, it, it, it changes how we respond to God. Yeah. He says, when I regarded God as a tyrant, I thought sin a trifle. But when I knew him to be my father, then I mourned that I could ever have kicked against him. When I thought that God was, so, was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion. I smote upon my breast to think that I could have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. Yeah. That, that strikes us all to the heart, man. That's true. That, that stabs us all. 
Because the God that many of us grew up with, uh, the God that many of the young people ran away from, was a tyrant God who, who demanded you to modify your behavior. And yet the God that we see here takes a spoiled uh, 17-year-old who should have been out working, a cocky young man, and he says, you're going to go through hard times. But I'm not throwing you into hard times as punishment. I'm going to walk with you through those hard times so you can become and fulfill a purpose that's greater than you ever thought you could ever fulfill. You will save more people than you ever thought you'd save. You will save the entire children of Israel line. That was God's plan for him. And so maybe during your dark times, you felt like, where's God? Where's he, where, where's he going? Is, is he taking me through a, a time to tear me down? No, God never throws you into a pit and says, let that be a lesson. Maybe you'll crawl back to me and obey me from now on. God always walks with you through the experience to say, look, in order for you to become everything I made you to be, you will never make it without me. You'll never make it. But my plans for you, he says in Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13, is to prosper you, plans of hope and a future. Not to harm you. Green microphone. So um, there's a lot. There's a lot in this story that's not written, yeah. obviously, and and we don't know uh, how Joseph responded to each of those taking down events. Yeah. The one thing that does come through loud and clear when it finally revolves around, and this might be getting a little bit ahead, Potiphar's wife, yeah. is that we know Joseph stayed true to his principles that governed his life. Yeah. Now, when you come to the point of what are the marks of God's presence and blessing, yeah. uh, I can speak from experience, uh, and I've seen it in other people. I think the two greatest things that, that we manifest that God is blessing us is when we live our lives in peace, yeah. not only peace with God, but peace with those around us, yeah. and when we have no fear. And, and I don't think uh, Joseph, those two things don't really, aren't really portrayed in that story. Yeah. But the no fear part, if you look at all the interactions of God with his people from Genesis to Revelation, one of the first things that is always said is fear not. Yes. Don't be afraid. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I think when you have that kind of a calm trust in God, I don't think you're thinking about the fact that you have peace or that you have no fear. That's just how you live your life. Yeah. I, I walked into a doctor's office one time uh, for a, a minor procedure, surgical procedure, and the doctor, when she came in, didn't talk with me more than 30 seconds before she said to me, how come you have so much peace in your life? I had no clue. I didn't know what I had done. Yeah. But something that she saw in me she saw peace. Yeah. And so, and so I, I think you can take away, strip away all the, the, the uh, blessings of prosperity and all of that stuff and come down to nothing, yeah. but you can still have peace 
and you can live your life without fear. And, and, and I think that's, especially in today's culture that we are living in, where it seems like everybody wants everybody to be afraid. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be. Absolutely. What does scripture tell us is the key to casting out all fear? What is it that casts out all fear? Perfect love. Perfect love. And what is God? If you have God in your heart, mm-hmm. it's hard to be fearful. And, and perhaps she sent something, the doctor sent something in you in that office that was not present in the others. Because to you, you saw it as a minor procedure. Yeah. The others coming in, if you're in a state of fear, minor procedures are major procedures. <laughs> Life and death. Yeah. And, uh, and you live in in an understanding that this is not all there is. Mm. Should this lifetime end for you today, this is not all there is. Your real life is coming. Uh, your, your life where there is no sickness, pain, mourning. It, it, it is your real life the way God intended it to be before sin uh, put a wrench in it. And so... I, I love that. I think the other thing is if you look at the first four messages that God sent in the New Testament, I call it the first four Christmas cards because it's the, it's the first four Christmas messages that, that God sent uh, with Gabriel down. Every single one of those first four interactions of God with mankind starts out with the phrase, fear not. Uh, that's, what, that's what Christ brought. He brought the absence of fear. I love that. Yes, yes, it is good news, isn't it? All right, uh, red microphone. Uh, just to add to the gentleman who mentioned Paul, you know, he not only had the thorn in the flesh to start with, there was the beaten with rods three times, shipwrecked twice, floating in the ocean day and night, uh, stoned three mm-hmm. times. Yeah, not, not stoned the way kids do today. But, um, yeah. but um, I'm thinking maybe when we're close to God, we might expect also more buffeting by Satan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, was it God who sent all of those trials? I mean, God had told him from the beginning, he will suffer many things for yeah. my sake. Yeah. But was he attacked by Satan? And a, a person close to God might experience trials yeah. as attacks. Even your, this morning, you're yeah. feel, not feeling well. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, a great testimony, your, your prayer this morning. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's all of our lives, our, our testimony of the, the reality of God. He changes things. I feel great. I feel great right now. I see the other uh, microphones. Can you... I, I, I know it's going to be connected because in this conversation, it's all still connected. I'm going to come to you, but I want to read the next uh, or basically the rest of our um, chapter today to give us even more context as, as we're speaking about this. And so I want us to look at the second half of verse 6 of chapter 39, and I want us to go to the end of the chapter, verse 23, and then I'm going to go directly to the uh, microphones that uh, have comments. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Can I get an amen from the ladies? <laughs> I didn't expect that many amens, but that's good. 
And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a, such a wicked thing against God? Interesting what he says there. Keep that in mind. Verse 10, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went to the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak. Uh-oh, this guy has trouble with his cloaks. <laughs> and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak with her uh, in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them. This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Verse 19, when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. A couple of things really quick before I go to the mics. Verse 6, well-built and handsome, literally. Fair with regard to form, which is yape toar, and fair with regard to appearance, yape mare. These are the same words, by the way, in the, they were using the feminine form to describe his mother. He looks like his mama. Good-looking kid. Took after his mama. Verse 7, when she says, come to bed with me, we typically, uh, because of the English translation, we take it the next step. And what are you going to do in bed? Um, the interesting thing here is the phraseology. It's the unusual expression for their time to lie beside, to assail her, rather than to lie with her, which was the biblically know her uh, that usually is used. This may indicate a progression in her strategy, meaning to invite familiarity first and then sexual completion. In other words, it's, and you've seen this, the devil works in this way, gradualization. To where, hey, no, 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 we're, we're not going to have intercourse. Let's just snuggle. Mm -hmm. So what she's asking him to do is just snuggle. What's the harm in snuggling? So she's asking him to snuggle. And then verse 12 to 18, we saw another cloak problem. And I want you to see a play on words that you missed because of the translation. But the unusual expression 
uh, I'm sorry, uh, since the homonym, it's, it sounds the same, uh, and in Hebrew, it, it's all consonants. Uh, during the period between the Old and New Testament, Maccabean period, that's when they actually added the vowels. But the consonants B, G, and D, if you transliterate from Hebrew to English, it may refer to adultery. Baged is how you would say adultery. Well, interesting, the homonym cloak is baged. So it reinforces the idea of infidelity. So there's a little creativity in the writing here going on as uh, it says that Potiphar's wife put forward the cloak, the infidelity, as evidence of Joseph's attack. But as a wordplay on marital infidelity, the cloak symbolized her unfaithfulness, which she clutches in her hand. And so there's this little wordplay going on there, a little, little poetry going on there. Uh, so we're going to get to these mics, and while these uh, mics, I'm, I'm getting to their comments, I want to ask you, why do you think God allows innocent people to be wrongfully accused? And I think we're here with Raul, the red mic. Go for well, it, precisely my comment is in that, uh, in that line of oh, things. Um, I, I, often I have to talk with um, students and other scientists who are not believers. They don't believe in God. And one of the main reasons is the problem of evil, yeah. uh, which is humanly unsolvable. Yeah. Why God allows evil things and bad things happen to good, innocent people? Yeah. Jesus was asked twice about that, and he did not answer directly. Yeah. Uh, he left it hanging because I believe we can't understand it. Yeah. And throughout the Bible, we, re we read uh, cases like this, um, of Joseph, who was a good man. Well, okay, he was a little arrogant when he was young, but hey, uh, will you be put in jail for being arrogant? There are other things that are really worse than that. Yeah. And uh, so why? You know, the question is why? And we don't have an answer. And yeah. Joseph didn't have an answer either. Yeah. But w as we read the rest of the Bible, we realize that the, um, the, uh, about the heroes of faith, yeah. uh, Joseph, Moses, David, uh, Paul, Peter, yeah. and so many, uh, many, even Jesus. Yeah. And when did they become heroes? Hmm. They became heroes either in a time of profound turmoil, yeah. intense trial, or after a big failure. Yeah. Even Jesus became the hero, um, starting with his, we could call it depression maybe, at Gethsemane. Yeah. Jesus had to go through his personal downtime yeah. before he became the hero on the yeah. cross. So yeah. um, I think this is important to, to um, when we try to make sense of the lives of people like Joseph. I agree. I agree. Purple mic. Just because we are talking about Joseph, interesting thing happened. I read the book by Charles B. Hines, who wrote God Sent a Man, mm. and that was about Joseph. Yeah. And then, of course, it was in English, and I sent it to Hungary to one of my friends who was an excellent translator. And the book was in a Hungarian bookstores a bestseller. Yeah. And because 
I was asking my girlfriend what made people like the book. And they said, because what God can do a man who's completely dedicated his his life to his service. I love that. I love that. Green microphone. Yeah. You know, I think God allows um, Satan to... um, have things happen to us that that are unpleasant and um, that are difficult because I think God really cares about character development. I think he cares about us learning to trust in him over and over again and know that he is trustworthy and that he is love and sometimes in the absence of everything is honky-dory you know you have everything you need um, for some people, great if they can, you know, learn that process and develop character in the absence of that. But I know yeah. I couldn't. And having <laughs> to go through some really difficult yeah. challenges in life um, yeah. made me rethink. As I think this whole COVID situation, it's made a lot of people who never maybe would think of God turn to think about the bigger picture. Absolutely. So I think sometimes, I don't think God causes any of this. And he um, wants free will and to woo us with love. But I, I think that... Um, it uh, he allows some situations so yeah. we can grow. I, th- I love that, Debbie. And I, I think one of the things that changes the story for me as I, as I went through the word study and I, I realized there's a very high probability that the jail in which Joseph is thrown is actually connected to Potiphar's house. And that this warden who now is mentioned as the warden, it's the same word uh, as used describing Potiphar. Um, Out of all the people, all the Egyptians that could have purchased Joseph, why did God inspire Potiphar to purchase Joseph? Why did God bless Potiphar's life so much so that when Joseph is wrongfully accused, and now Potiphar, the chief executioner, can decide what punishment comes to the slave, don't you see that even in the trials, because God is with Joseph, he already sees what's coming, because he's outside of time, he can see what's coming. And so he inspires even the people who are lording over you the bad times. And he works with who it is and their relationship with you. So when it comes time that you are in a life or death situation, which would stop the progression of your purpose, that God says, don't worry. Yes, I know you were wrongfully accused but I've already made you so valuable to the decision maker that capital punishment will not happen. In fact, that's why the rest of the chapter echoes the first of the chapter where it says the warden notices that in prison, this Joseph is amazing. And so Potiphar, even though he's publicly embarrassed, And many commentaries say that the reason why he did not execute Joseph is because he didn't believe his wife. 
but to save public face and to protect her and to bring some peace into the home. Can I hear an amen from the husbands? He decided to do a frozen and he let it go. cloak never bothered him anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at a time when Joseph could have been killed, once again, we see this repetition, this echo of the past, because it's the same warden. And the warden's looking and saying, I'm going to put you in charge of everything here. I, I trusted you there. And many commentators say the reason why Joseph is trusted over all the prison is because even though there was this false accusation, he never lost the trust of Potiphar. God maintained that trust relationship because what does it say at the beginning of the chapter? Potiphar saw that God was with Joseph. Isn't that amazing? Purple microphone over here. Um, this just came to me maybe a little earlier. I don't know if it's exactly directly related to what we're just talking about, but um, Satan attacks God through us the closer we are to him. Wow. And uh, basically it's not about us, it's about God. Mm-hmm. And Satan attacking God, and the closer we are, the more of a target we become because he mm-hmm. starts to to group us together with God. Yeah. And so that's why, anyway, it just hit me. That, that is such a deep thought. I, I love that. I love that. I was going to ask you, where did you read that? And then I heard you, it just hit you. Yeah, that's, that's the Spirit of God speaking. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you. Because that's such a deep thought, and it's such a, it rings so true. The reason why you're going through trials is not because God is trying to break you down. It's because just like with Job, the devil is trying to separate you from God, to get you to curse God, to get you to question the character of God, to to get you to say, "I, I think my life is better apart from God. Because as I look around, like David would say, as I look at the sinful, why do the sinful prosper and the good suffer? The reason why you're attacked it's because the devil wants to derail you from your purpose. But in the chapter today, we see clearly that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And as long as God is with you, even if the trajectory of your life seems to be going lower and into darker and deeper pits, that God is with you, he will prosper you so that the people around you will prosper. And he will prosper you, not for your own happiness, but for your own purpose. Your calling to make the way of the Lord possible. This is the story of Joseph. Had God not been with him and made it possible, and we're going to see next week, the next step. If God had not made it possible, all of the children of promise, the children of Israel, would have perished. God is with you so that his divine purpose, his long story, can be written and be written through you. 
It's so true. And I can't wait to have a conversation specifically with you, individually with you. And I don't know whether it will be sometime during this lifetime or sometime during eternity, but I cannot wait to hear the story that God is writing through you. Don't be distracted by all of the challenges, whether they're financial, relationally, or health challenges you're going through right now. God is working his purpose through you today. Now, I hope you'll come back for our next episode because it keeps ramping up. It gets better and better because we're taking a look at God's next step, his next plan, as we introduce two new characters, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And when you see how God uses this experience to further Joseph's life, even though in the moment it doesn't look like it, I know it's going to encourage you greatly and you'll see God in his infinite loving character so much more clearly. I hope to see you then. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.